Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. You have your Bibles as you're being seated. Turn quickly to John chapter 9 as we will finish our study in the ninth chapter of John as we are walking verse by verse through the entire gospel of John. Let me just say what a joy it is to see believers open their Bibles, take out their notes, and to endure learning the Word of God as it's written verse by verse, line by line. And so as we continue our study in John's gospel, we will be looking at verses 35 through 30, uh, 41, excuse me, of the ninth chapter here today in a message entitled, An Eye-Opening Encounter with Jesus. An Eye-Opening Encounter with Jesus. I, I know many of you will quickly say, aren't we talking about the same man who already had his eyes opened by Jesus? Yes, we are. But we, have, we have already seen Jesus open his physical eyes. This man who was blind at birth, who spent his adult life, and I'm sure his life since he was an adolescent, as a beggar. Jesus miraculously, in the early parts of chapter 9, gave him his sight back. Or gave him his sight, actually, for the first time. And he did this, as we remember, by spitting upon the ground and mixing it with the dirt, making mud, rubbing it into the man's blinded eyes and sending him to the pool of Siloam where he would wash his eyes according to the word of God and be healed. And he was. Aren't you thankful that every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ? Jesus told him, go, go to the pool, wash your eyes and be healed. And he was. But I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that the story doesn't stop there with just the physical healing of the blind man. It doesn't stop with just him being able to see who once was not able to see. If we remember correctly, we've referenced this already many times. John chapter 20, in the latter verses there, Jesus, as John would remind us, did these signs for a purpose. And John said, remember this, that he did these signs, these miraculous and powerful works, not so that we would just ooh and ah at the miraculous and the powerful, But John says this, he said that Jesus did these miraculous signs and they're recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. I'm so thankful today and I pray that you will be as well as we look at the rest of this text that Jesus didn't stop at just graciously opening the eyes of the blind man so that he could see. Again, referencing his physical eyes. I'm thankful today that there was a greater purpose in that. That Jesus' purpose of his miracles are always to bring people to saving faith in him. The purpose of this miracle, just like the purpose of all of his miracles, was never to simply perform a miracle. This miracle was specifically designed by God to reveal who Jesus really is. That he is so much more than just a miracle worker. That he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And that all 
who put their faith and trust in Him would be healed not just from physical ailments. Because did you know this? We will all ultimately be healed from all of our physical ailments when we are glorified in Christ. But Jesus did these things so that we could be healed spiritually. This man, though he was blind physically at one point in time, he was blind spiritually as we all are apart from Jesus Christ. So I want us to remember today as we look at this text that there is a bigger picture. In fact, if we will remember as Jesus began to teach in John chapter 9 verse 3, His disciples asked Him about this blind man when they saw Him on the road begging. Remember what they said? They said, was it His mother's sin or was it His father's sin that caused Him to be born blind? And Jesus said, neither. That this has happened so that the work of God might be displayed in His life. Now, many would settle for the work of God just being a miracle of healing. But we know this. That is not the full extent of the work of God. In fact, that is commonplace for God. But we know that Jesus, in John chapter 6, He spoke on what the work of God really is. Verse 29 of John chapter 6, Jesus answered, The work of God is to believe in the one He has sent. To believe in the one who God has sent is a greater miracle than healing the physical sight of a man who was born blind. That is the true work of God. Jesus did not, I assure you, heal this man of his physical blindness so that he can go on in his spiritual blindness and spend an eternity in hell. It would be of no point. We're going to see today that this passage is the culmination of of the work of God in bringing this formerly blind beggar to faith and repentance and true salvation. I am thankful that Jesus did not let him settle for common grace. He didn't let him settle for common grace, but he brought him to a place of saving grace. Did you know this? Every lost atheist in this world is under the common grace of God. They get sick Their immune system heals them. Thank you, Jesus. He's the one who gave us that immune system. But many people, I am afraid, settle for just the common grace of God. The fact that He let you wake up this morning. That He let you breathe a breath. That He let you have shelter and food and clothing. Because I assure you of this, whether you acknowledge it or not, all of that stems from His common grace. Jesus was not going to let this man settle for just common grace. His physical healing. He was going to heal him through and through. He was going to give him spiritual healing in his darkest and inmost places. The depths of his soul that were cut off from a holy God. So as we read John chapter 9 verse 35, we'll read it in its entirety. And then we will come back and we will look at this eye-opening encounter with Jesus, and we will break down the elements that it includes, and we will do this, perhaps so that some of you could have an eye-opening encounter with Jesus this very day, a life-changing encounter. I'm not talking about a ritualistic, emotional church experience. I'm talking about an eye-opening, 
life-changing encounter with Jesus. Verse 35, it says this, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. Bring you up to speed, if you weren't here with us last week, they threw him out because he kept saying that Jesus is the one who healed his physical blindness. They threw him out of the synagogue, an insult to the Jew. They kicked him out to the lowest of lowest places. And when he found him, when Jesus found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I believe and he worshiped him. Underline that in your Bible. It's very important. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and ask, what are we blind to? Are you accusing us of being blind? We're the Pharisees. We know the scriptures better than anyone else. You're accusing us of being blind. And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. He's talking about the specific sin of unbelief. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Your guilt remains. Let us break this text down. Let us talk about what it means. Let us pray that those who are here who do not know Christ would graciously be given an encounter with Him this morning. An eye-opening encounter. And so let's look at the elements of this encounter. The eye-opening encounter, first of all, was this. It was a Christ-initiated encounter. I don't want you to miss this. Oh, this makes many people angry that it's all Christ, but it's all Christ. Verse 35, it tells us this. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, and when he found him, I bring that to your attention today because I want you to understand this. The sinner did not seek Christ. In fact, he thought that he got everything that he probably ever needed and then some from Christ when he healed him of blindness. He was going on about his life, if you will remember. He hasn't had another encounter with Jesus since Jesus put mud in his eye and said, go wash and be healed. And here Jesus seeks out this man again. It was Jesus initiating this encounter. I want you to write that down and I want you to understand that. None of you have ever encountered Jesus unless he initiated the encounter. Jesus found him. The sinner did not seek Christ. It was Christ seeking the sinner. In fact, this man couldn't have sought Christ even if he wanted to. Did you know this? He had no idea what Jesus looked like. Oh, you should realize that this was purposeful in God's plan. Jesus put mud in his eyes. We wonder why did he put mud in his eyes and tell him, here, here's mud so you can't see. Now go wash and see. 
because it was not yet time for him to see Jesus. And he sent him away, and he went to the pool of Siloam. He washed, and he was healed. And then in the second encounter, Jesus comes looking for him. Jesus sought the blind sinner. Write it down. See it all throughout Scripture. Never did a sinner seek Christ. In fact, remember the apostle Paul when he was Saul? He wasn't seeking Christ. He was seeking to destroy Christ and everything that was Christian. And it was Christ who sought him on the road to Damascus. And it is Christ who still seeks the sinners today that he might bring them to faith and repentance. Jesus sought the blind sinner. The man who was not looking for Jesus. It says Jesus was looking for him. Romans chapter 3. Verse 10 proves this to be true. Verse 10 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. You say, yeah, we know that, pastor. What does that have to do with this man not seeking Christ, but Christ seeking this man? Watch verse 11 that we so often erase. It says, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. I told you, he was not seeking Christ. Christ was seeking him. The only reason that a man would ever claim to seek God is so that he can have credit for it and boast in himself. That is the same heart of the Pharisees that we are going to see in a moment who Jesus is going to line out everything that they think. He's going to tell them, you think you see, and that's your problem. That proves that you're really blind. Jesus sought this blind sinner. Jesus came looking for him. Jesus chose to have an encounter with this man. I know we love to live in a theological world where Jesus doesn't have a sovereign choice, but can I assure you of this? The second person of the Trinity is still sovereign Lord of all. He chooses man. Man does not choose him. He said, well, I don't know that I agree with that theology. It's not something that you can either agree or disagree with. It's something that you will have to absolutely erase Scripture in reference to. In fact, in John chapter 15... Verse 16, Jesus with his disciples makes it very clear. In verse 16, he tells them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. It is Jesus who initiates the encounter. Please understand that today we are at his mercy. We are dependent upon his grace. We are dependent upon his will. This was no accident that he found this man. And sought this man, but it was a divine appointment. It is a clear biblical picture of Jesus seeking out one of God's elect children to bring them to faith and repentance, granting to them the salvation that God has ordained. This man's whole life, his whole life, was not based on anything that this man had done, but was based on God's predetermined choice to graciously save this sinner. We go back to the initial conversation. Why is this man blind? Was it his mom? Was it his dad? Jesus says, no. He was blind so that the work of God could be seen. He was born blind according to God's sovereign plan so that the work of God in salvation could be seen. Oh, so many times, those of us who have ailments or those of us who are limited to some degree or we have health issues, just as the Apostle Paul had that issue 
with a thorn. He said, I've prayed thrice that this be removed, but I've come to this conclusion. God's not going to remove it because it is so that His grace can be highlighted so that I can realize His grace is sufficient. We see Jesus initiating an encounter with a sinner based on His sovereign initiative. I know it's a doctrine that many people don't like, but it is a doctrine that is covered in Scripture through and through. From Genesis all the way to the Revelation, we see the sovereignty of God and His will not being thwarted, and His sovereign will coming to accomplish every task that He seeks to accomplish, even the salvation of souls. And here He is, saving this man who was born blind, but yet still a sinner, though he was healed of his physical blindness. Not based on anything the man had to offer. Anything that the man had achieved on his own merit or strength. But based simply on the fact that Jesus desired to save him. Spurgeon said it like this. He said, I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I would not have chosen him. Oh, don't you know that this formerly blind beggar was thankful that that day that Jesus sought him out? Jesus sovereignly sought him out. We're going to see this. He's going to sovereignly seek him out, but also there are going to be some unbelieving Pharisees who are standing there who he leaves in their unbelief. Because it is according to his will and his sovereign desire. He is the God of salvation. We are not. Jesus sought the blind sinner. Then we see that Jesus showed the blind sinner compassion. This is for all the people who, who, when you speak on the doctrines of grace, you say that God elects those who he saves to salvation in eternity past. They come at you and they say, well, that doesn't seem like a very loving doctrine. I don't know of a more loving doctrine in all of Scripture. That we all deserve wrath and judgment. We all deserve hell. Yet God in His mercy and His grace rescues a remnant by that grace for His namesake. I don't know about you, but I am thankful to be a part of that remnant of grace that Paul spoke of in Romans. It's a display of God's love. Jesus showed the blind sinner Compassion. Why would I say that? Because it's opposite of what the Pharisees showed him. The Pharisees kicked him out of the synagogue, showing hatred and animosity toward him. However, Jesus, in initiating this encounter with him, showed him compassion. From the time that he was excommunicated from the synagogue, he was an outcast in Judaism. Yet the King of kings and Lord of lords loved him enough to come to him in that moment and offer him forgiveness and eternal life through faith in him and him alone. Jesus sought him so that he could express the love of God to him. So that he could bring him into the fold of God. Just as he went to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And it was Jesus who told Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down. 
Because I'm going to your house this very day. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus, as he met with Zacchaeus, says, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Aren't you thankful that the Son of Man still seeks and saves that which is lost? He is looking for true Israel. He is looking for those who God in eternity past has sovereignly ordained that they are His children, His elect, His chosen sons and His chosen daughters. Jesus initiating this encounter here, showing this man the love of God in Christ. Aren't you thankful that Jesus still initiates encounters with blind sinners today? And He initiates encounters with blind sinners today that they may see the grace of God. They may see the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and receive the compassion and mercy that He gives to them at the cross. It is Christ who graciously initiates an encounter with sinners. Why is this so important? Because when we understand that it is Christ doing the work of God, how do I know that He was doing the work of God? That's what He said that He came to do. The work of God. He came to do the work of the Father. Jesus Himself said, it's not my will that I'm doing, but the will of He who sent me. And here He is rescuing one of those who God in eternity past selected for salvation based on His foreknowledge. And it's Christ who graciously initiated this encounter on earth with this man. Perhaps today. Perhaps today He is seeking out some of you. Oh, He has been graciously pointing you toward Him over and over and over again. This man was graciously pointed to Christ even at His healing. They asked Him, they said, who healed you? The man Jesus. And then we see this, that the man Jesus quickly became the prophet. Then, in this text, He became the Savior. So many times, we are settled for the common grace of the first encounter. We hear a little bit about Jesus and someone says, well, all you have to do is this. There is nothing that you can do to save you. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is the gift of God so that no man can boast. We see Christ initiates the encounter. Secondly, this eye-opening encounter was a Christ-induced enlightenment. This is a Christ-induced enlightenment. And what do I mean by that? I mean that Christ did the work of opening his blind eyes. I don't understand why it is that we will settle for Christ opening his eyes from his physical blindness, but we get all wonky when we talk about Christ opening the eyes of the spiritually blind. Because I assure you of this, it would be easier for you to heal your own physical eyesight than it would for you to heal your own spiritual blindness. So we see Christ... Inducing this enlightenment. Verse 35, the second part. He does this by asking a question. Do you believe in the Son of a Man? He says, who is He, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in Him. Tell me so that I may believe in Him. And Jesus said, you have now seen Him. In fact, He is the one speaking with you. 
By simply asking a question, the power of his word began to induce the enlightenment that this man desperately needed. Jesus began to open his eyes to see the truth by speaking the word. What did he say? He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus induced this whole enlightenment in the life of this man. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus We see this in talking to Nicodemus. He says in verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And we know that that born again is spiritual rebirth. He must be born of the Spirit. Jesus had to come to this man and he had to induce enlightenment so that he could see the kingdom of God, so that he could recognize the Savior for who he is, so that he could truly believe and trust In him, Jesus provokes his thought with a question. I pray that this question would provoke your thought this morning. This is how it works. The word of God is spoken. And God sovereignly works to provoke your thought. I ask you this question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? You say, well, it seems like a simple enough question. But did you know this? You cannot believe in the Son of Man, nor see the things of God until your eyes are opened by the power of God. Jesus provoked thought in this man, causing the man to contemplate this serious question. Would you contemplate this question today? Do you truly believe in Jesus as the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, your Lord, your personal Savior? Do you truly, by faith, believe in Him? Caused his mind to be open to the truth. You know how I know this? He began to ask questions. Who is he, sir? Who is he, sir? Now, I, I want to mark this for you. When Jesus found this man, he wasn't frantically running around asking everyone in the crowds that were around him who the Son of Man was. This is a new question. This is a question that was induced by Jesus in enlightening, him, enlightening this man to who he really is. And then he says this, tell me so that I may believe. Did you catch that? He knew that he was dependent upon Jesus for true saving faith. Tell me so that I may believe. He was dependent upon Jesus for the true answer. Why? Because when Jesus speaks, he speaks truth. Man will give you a million different ways how they think that you can get to God and have salvation. Jesus gives you but one way, and it is through faith in him In Him alone. Jesus provoked His thought. And then Jesus provided insight. Verse 37. Jesus said, you have now seen Him. In fact, He is the one speaking with you. Jesus provided insight by revealing His true identity to the sinner. He asked the question, you believe in the Son of Man? He says, tell me who He is so that I can believe. And Jesus says, you're looking at Him. He's right here. I'm the one who healed your physical sight so that I could have this meeting with you today so that I can heal heal your spiritual sight so that you can see and so that you can believe and so that you can repent and so that you can be saved this very day. I'm him. Jesus provided insight by revealing his true identity to the sinner, but also by speaking the truth to him. Jesus spoke truth. In fact, we know this, that all sinners come to true saving faith because the truth is spoke. To them. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. You know why he was saved that day? He heard the word of Christ. The word of Christ came forth, initiated by Christ in that encounter, but also induced by Christ in enlightening him to his need for the truth and to who the truth really is. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, just as John 14, 6 tells us. Isn't it true and aren't you thankful that Jesus still enlightens blind sinners even this day? Showing them who He is. Showing them who He is. Now some of you want to say, well, I figured it out on my own. I pray that God humble your arrogance today. I pray that God humbles your arrogance today that you, didn't, you realize that you didn't figure out anything on your own. That it was God who graciously showed you the truth. It is God who graciously initiated that encounter and graciously induced that enlightenment so that you could see the truth and so that you could believe. Jesus still enlightens sinners today, of which I am one who is thankful. I'm thankful that He enlightened me to the fact that He is the only acceptable sacrifice for a sinner like me. That He is the King of kings and Lord of lords to which I must bow down to and worship. He's the only one who can reconcile a relationship to a holy God because I'm a dreadful, depraved sinner in need of reconciliation that I can't muster up on my own. But it's Christ who shows us that and who enlightens us to that fact. Romans chapter 3, he reminds us of this in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Haven't we? And how can we ever get back. How can we ever get back? We're all sinners who've fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. Jesus enlightens us to how. And Paul reiterates how in Romans chapter 6 verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God. I told you, it's a gift. He induces it. It's His grace. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you thankful that that verse didn't stop with just the wages of sin is death. I would be in grave trouble and so would all of you. But he goes on and he says, but God has given a gift and that gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus still is enlightening blind sinners to the truth of their need for a Savior. The fact that they have fallen short of the glory of God because they have all sinned. The fact that there is a wage for sin, but Jesus Christ gave a gift 2,000 years ago when He paid the payment on the cross for all who would believe and trust in Him. Jesus, inducing this enlightenment to this man here, it's Christ graciously showing him and enlightening him to the truth. The truth that He is a sinner and that He is in need of a Savior. Jesus started revealing this process to this man. Way back when He healed him in the first part of chapter 9, the man had no idea what was going on. He just thought, He healed me. This is really good. Yet Jesus comes back and He offers him a greater healing. He offers him spiritual healing according to the grace of God. He offers him salvation. What a tragedy it would have been. This man never had the second encounter with Jesus. 
You know what would have happened? He would have went to hell, having spent the latter part of his life with his human eyesight. Never to have his spiritual eyes open to the truth of Jesus Christ. And he would have perished in his sin. But Jesus showed him grace, mercy through salvation. Thirdly, we see this. The, uh, this eye-opening encounter was a Christ-inspired exaltation. It was a Christ-initiated encounter. It was a Christ-induced enlightenment. It was a Christ-inspired exaltation. You're saying, man, Jesus had a lot to do with this. All of it. All of it. It was an eye-opening encounter. Just as the man had nothing to do with his physical healing, it was all Jesus. And we don't have a problem giving him credit there. Jesus had everything to do with his spiritual healing. And it's time we give him credit where credit is due. This is Christ-inspired exaltation. Watch what happens here. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. I'm thankful that Jesus still does bring lost sinners to their knees in belief, in repentance, in faith, in worship. I am thankful because I assure you of this. I was giving no mind to God at all when Christ saved me. I was rousing in the world and doing my own thing and following my own fleshly desires and following my sin. And it is Christ who came to me. He initiated the encounter. He is the one who sovereignly induced enlightenment. He opened my eyes to see. And it is He who inspired exaltation because I never could have worshipped God had He not first reconciled me to my Creator. And here this man has been reconciled to his Creator and it says he believed and he worshipped him. Jesus allowed this sinner to believe. You know why I confidently say that? I confidently say that because I still believe that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 means what it says and says what it means. That it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God so that no man could boast. Please notice, this man even understood this basic principle in his physical healing. The Pharisee said, how did you see again? He said, the man, Jesus. He wasn't even going to take credit for his physical healing. And he sure can't take credit for his spiritual healing. The man, Jesus, made some mud. He put it in my eyes. He told me to go wash, and I did. And now I can see. It is by grace that Jesus allowed this sinner to believe is Christ-inspired exaltation. You know, I know it's Christ-inspired because it was acceptable by Christ. Jesus accepted His worship. God cannot accept the worship of a sinner who does not come by faith. It's a sad day in, in the American church culture because the seeker-sensitive movement, you know what they do? They want to make the music because that's what they call worship. Worship is so much more than music. They want to make the music attractive for the world. They want blinky lights and smoke machines like you have at a rock concert. And they want to make it attractive 
for the world so that they can worship. Can I assure you of this? If they're still in the world, they are not worshiping God. They are still worshiping idols. They have not been set free by his grace to see true salvation in Christ. They are not true believers. Why would we ever set up a church for worldly sinners? Well, we want them to feel comfortable on their way to hell. Well, my prayer is this, that when we preach the truth, that the flames of hell are so hot that they feel them on the soles of their feet and they bring them to repentance. Jesus inspired true exaltation. Worship. That was the result of true saving faith. That's how we know that it was true saving faith. True saving faith always produces worship. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. He worshiped. And his worship came from faith for the very first time. Why is that important? Because Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You must believe that He exists. He believed for the first time that Jesus was the Christ. Why? Because Christ revealed to Him who He was. And on believing, the next response was this, worship. You don't have to teach a true believer how to worship. A true believer falls on his knees at the feet of Jesus and says, Thank you, Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Thank you, Jesus. I am unworthy, but you are worthy. Thank you, Jesus. I am wretched, but you are pure and you are perfect and you are holy. That's the response of true faith. The response of true faith is not to come forward and fill out a card and become a part of a group. The response of true faith is worship. Jesus allowed him to worship. It is inspired by him. How? He revealed to him who he truly is. Those of you who see Jesus for who he truly is, I assure you of this. You live your life as a life of worship. This is the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 tells us to do. You present yourselves a living sacrifice. Because it is your spiritual act of worship. You lay your life down in worship to him because of who he is. Jesus accepted his worship because his worship was from true saving faith. And his worship proved true repentance. Did you know this? True worship always comes from a heart of repentance toward God. Of seeing who you aren't and recognizing who he is. That is why when we worship, we posture ourselves on our knees and on our face in humility. That is why every time we see in Scripture in the Old Testament when someone would receive a vision of heaven and they would come into the, the, into the presence of God, they would come into the presence of God and they would prostrate themselves on the ground as dead men because they could not stand in His glory. Here Jesus revealed His glory to this man who He truly is inspiring exaltation. He worshiped him. The lost sinner cannot do that. Their attempts to worship are in vain. Well, you came today and you thought you wanted to worship and you couldn't figure out why the words to these songs mean nothing to you. Why there was not a, a, a flowing inside of you welling up the spring of living water. Why was that not, not, not there? Because you don't know Christ. Because for those of us who know Christ, we sing songs unto Him. We read His Word and we see His majesty and His glory. It brings us to true worship. Repenting of who we are and turning to who He is. Depending upon Him solely and completely. 
And Jesus is still inspiring exaltation even today. Jesus still inspires people to come to Him in true faith and to worship Him. Did you know in the Garden of Eden, that's what was broken. Worship. Man chose sin over intimacy with God. And worship was severed. Worship was severed. Why? Because you were cut off from God. You say, well, pastor, that seems kind of harsh. Cut off from God? Yeah, that's what Colossians tells us. Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says this in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. When sin entered in, worship ceased. But when Jesus, the cure for sin, reveals himself to a lost sinner and graciously opens his eyes to faith, when that sinner comes to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of his sin and trusting in Christ alone immediately, worship is restored. That's why he fell in worship. For all the people who say, well, I don't believe Jesus is God. Well, you can correct your thinking now because if Jesus wasn't God, he would have stopped that man right then and said, wait, I'm not worthy of worship. Come on, stand up. He received his worship because his worship came from faith. Once we were alienated from God and were enemies in our own minds because of our evil behavior, Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What a statement. Free from accusation and without blemish. You know what that means? I can now come into the presence of a holy God. And why can I come into the presence of a holy God? Because I'm a good person? Absolutely not. Because Christ sought me. And Christ sought me. And then He enlightened me to the truth by His Word. And then He brought me and inspired me to a place of exaltation and worship. You don't get there without Christ. You only pretend to be there. Which will bring us to the next group of people that we will see in a moment. Though this man had been cast out of the synagogue and rejected by his own people, Jesus did not cast him out. In fact, Jesus opened the door so that this man could worship. He opened this door so that he could have a right relationship with God. Why? Because he was one of his own who he came to seek and to save. In fact, John chapter 6, we learned this there in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. This man came to Christ confirming this. He was a gift from the Father. And a gift from the Father to the Son is never lost. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. This man was sovereignly given to Christ by the Father. And Christ went to him and he rescued him, promising him eternal life, promising him resurrection. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. He looked to the Son and he believed. Confirming that it is God's will that he be saved and that his worship is now acceptable. Jesus is the one who inspired this act of worship. Christ is still graciously inspiring and impelling 
allowing sinners to be transformed into vessels who can rightly worship God today. But you must first be cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ. Oh, you see the progression again? Let me remind you of it in in 9 verse 11. They said, who healed you? He said, the man called Jesus. He was just a man called Jesus. All he knew was a name. Verse 9, 17. He's a prophet. And then here in verse 9, 38. Lord, I believe. What did he believe? He believed that he is the son of man. That means he believed that he is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the one who came to save sinners. And he worshiped him. We've looked at this eye-opening encounter with Jesus. We've seen a a Christ-initiated encounter, Christ-induced enlightenment, a Christ-inspired exaltation. But I don't want to leave you without covering the last few verses because they're very important, especially to those who might not know Christ here in our midst today. The fourth thing that I want you to see in verses 39 through 41 is a Christ-impelled examination. Christ-impelled examination, this eye-opening encounter happened so that others who were standing by would examine themselves. We're going to see that there were others standing by. In fact, there were eavesdropping, unbelieving Pharisees. Don't these guys just continue just to pop up everywhere, eavesdropping on the conversations that Jesus is having with people? Here they are again. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world. So that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Wasn't it true that the word of God says that, For he who thinks he stand, take heed, lest he fall. These blind Pharisees were mistaken. They thought that they were okay, that there was nothing wrong with them. They, in fact, thought that they could see spiritually. And Jesus said, because you think you see spiritually on your own accord and your own power, it proves that you are really wretched and you are really blind. That's for all the people who would like to take credit for the spiritual sight that you might have at this point in time. He was letting them know. Jesus called the listeners to self-examination. He said, look at yourself. Jesus lets them know that nothing gets past them. Look at verse 39. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Now, many people want to say, well, that sounds like a contradiction to John chapter 3, where he says, I came not to the world to condemn the world. He didn't have to condemn the world for sin. Understand that. They're already condemned. He's not talking about condemnation here. What he's talking about is this, that they were thinking that they could somehow trick him, that they could continue to play a game and and not be seen as unbelievers. And what he's saying is this, you pretending to be a person who spiritually sees is evidence that you are spiritually blind, and I know it. I know it. I don't miss anything. My discernment is greater than anything that you can imagine. I am an all-knowing God. They did not yet realize this. He knows the difference between those who arrogantly claim to see but can't because of their unbelief. He knows the difference today. He knows those of you who are here today who you are faking it, you have been faking it, 
You may even continue to fake it, pretending like you know Christ when you know that you do not know Christ, and your life proves it. How does your life prove it? The sin that you bathe in and the filth that you continue to wallow in with no account of the holiness of God and no account of sanctification through the Holy Spirit, it proves that you don't truly know Christ. He's calling them out. He knows they're pretending. He knows that they're spiritually blind. And he's showing them that he knows. If you're spiritually blind here today and you don't know Christ, let me say this. You may trick me. You may trick every single person around you. You may learn to play the game, to speak Christianese, to do all the church things. But you're not going to fool Christ. You're not going to trick Christ. In fact, if you are pretending to see when you don't see, he says that's proof of your unbelief. That's proof that you are who I say that you are. Jesus called the listeners to self-examination. He said, you want to eavesdrop on my conversations? Well, you need to look at yourself. You need to examine yourself today to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling to look and to see, are you truly in Christ? Because he knows the difference. Christ impelled examination. Jesus called the listeners to self-examination. Jesus confirmed the listeners' guilt and unbelief. Watch how he confirms their unbelief. Verse 40. Some Pharisees who were with him, who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. He's talking about the sin of unbelief. Jesus confirmed that these listeners were still under the guilt of unbelief. Their guilt of unbelief was proven in this conversation because they acted as if they could see when they really couldn't. That's the definition of a hypocrite, isn't it? They put the mask on that they were godly, but inside they were filthy, just as Jesus told them. He said, you're whitewashed tombs. On the outside looks clean and the outside looks white and it looks pretty, but on the inside you're nothing but dead men's bones. You claim that you see, but all that does is prove that you only have faith in yourself because I have not allowed you to see. Your claim reveals that you are a sinner and you are a liar. He knows those who he has opened their eyes to see, and he knew he had not yet sovereignly opened their eyes, and for them to claim to see, they were only lying to themselves and lying to Christ. And he let them know that. They saw no real need for Jesus. And a person who has no real need for Jesus, no matter how spiritual or religious, they might pretend to be. They have not surrendered to Christ by faith. They are still blind in their unbelief and in their sin. Their claim to see is simply that. Just a hollow claim. What about you? What about you? Oh, it's not an accident that this passage of Scripture ends with such a warning. Such a warning to examine yourself. A Christ-impelled examination. Would you examine yourself today and see, am I just a pretender? Do I act as if I see around certain crowds, but I know that I'm wretched and I'm blind and I'm pitiful and I'm poor? Oh, we think about... The church at Laodicea. Although you say you're rich, but I say that 
You're wretched and you're blind and you're pitiful and you're poor. As you examine yourself today, what would you say truthfully? Jesus still impels us to examine ourselves. Examine yourself today. Are you an unbelieving sinner in need of a Savior? Are you? Are you a pretender, pretending to have it all together, yet you're blind to the things of God? You're blind to Christ. You're blind to worshiping Him for who He really is. You've not yet surrendered to Him as Lord and Savior. You can tell by examining your life today. Is your life defined by sin and unbelief? With no true obedience to what He has commanded, what His Word teaches? If your life is void of those things, you're not a worshiper. Please go back to this man and watch what happens. The moment he was saved, he became a worshiper. What does your life say when you examine yourself? Are you still blind? Still blind spiritually? My prayer for you is this, that God would graciously open your eyes today just as He once opened my eyes to see my need for Him. That He would graciously grant you the faith to believe and the strength to repent and to turn to Christ and Christ alone because it's only He who can grant you such a great salvation. Perhaps He's showing you today that as you examine yourself, you fall short. That God does not accept you because your sin has not yet been cleansed. Can I assure you of this? There is only one who cleanses you of sin and his name is Jesus. God has brought me here today to speak to you so that you can hear the word of truth just as this man heard the word of truth. And that word of truth is this believe on Christ. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved other than the name of Jesus. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If God graciously shows you that you are a sinner today in need of a Savior, and He graciously allows you faith to believe that Jesus is that Savior, and He allows you the strength to repent and to call on Jesus today, I assure you of this, He is faithful to save you to the uttermost. Is He calling you today? Is He revealing Himself to you today? Would you believe and would you turn to Christ Perhaps today is your eye-opening encounter with Jesus. Well, I remember that day in my young life when I wasn't looking for anything. He came looking for me. And he came looking for me. A worthless, wretched sinner who deserved death and who deserved hell. But yet He lavished His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness upon me. Oh, today perhaps He's lavishing that same grace and mercy and forgiveness upon some of you even as I speak. The depths of your soul right now is illuminating you to the fact that you need a Savior and that He is the one. Oh, you thought that you came here today by accident. Perhaps today you came because Christ initiated an encounter with you. Perhaps everything worked out today specifically and accordingly to His plan so that you could hear the gospel and so that you could be set free by the truth that Jesus is the only one who saves. Would you be saved today? Would you cry on Jesus to give you mercy and grace and forgiveness? Don't settle for temporal healing. So many will spend an eternity in hell settling for the temporal. Don't settle for common grace. Right? The good old boy who says, God's been good to me, and I guess when it's all over with, hopefully the good will outweigh the bad. It won't. 
The good in your life will never outweigh the bad. You are a sinner condemned already, and unless Jesus Christ relieves you of your condemnation, you will not be saved. Is he showing you that today? And turn to him, trusting in him and him alone, bowing down, repenting of your sin, surrendering to him as Lord and Savior, as the Spirit empowers you and equips you to do. Perhaps today you're here and you're a believer. When was the last time you just bowed down in worship, thanking him that he didn't have to save you? You didn't deserve it. It wasn't a payment for something that you were owed. But it is completely by His grace. The eye-opening encounter that you have had as a believer is because Christ sought you out. He opened your eyes so that you could believe. He empowered you and quickened you by His Spirit so that you would repent and you would turn by faith to Him and Him alone. And you were saved because of Him. When's the last time you just worshipped Him for that? You got on your face and said, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Without you, I would be still destined for hell. Would you hear the word of the Lord today? If you need Christ, would you cry out to Christ? If you need Christ, would you cry out to Christ? He has revealed that to you, showing you your need for Him. It's His intentional purpose to save you today. Cry out to Christ. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. Thanking you for your word. Lord, we don't have to understand every one of your attributes or your characteristics to see them as true. Lord, we see them as true. That were it not for your grace, none of us would be saved. Were it not for you, Lord Jesus, seeking us out, seeking and saving the lost, we would still be in a desperate situation, trapped in our sin. But we thank you that you do seek sinners. And you do reveal yourself to them through your word. Lord, I pray now for those who you are revealing yourself to in our midst. God, that today would be the day of salvation for them. That now they would see is that appointed time and that they would surrender to Christ as Savior and Lord today. As you open their eyes to see and believe, gifting them with faith and empowering them to repent. God, that they would see your faithfulness to save today. God, I pray for the believer who's here. Cause them to rejoice. Cause them to worship. Cause them to bow down and to praise you for who you are and for what you've done. We'll give you all the glory for it. We pray and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we yield to you as you work now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. Or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.